0: campuses, and welcome to those watching online. We're so glad that you are here. Just because we think something's right doesn't mean it always is. Most of us have learned that in life along the way. Some of us haven't. But life is a process of learning and unlearning along the way. Just because we think something is one way doesn't mean it will always be that way, because life is about change, and change is necessary if we're going to grow, and we are called as people to grow. Therefore, sometimes things that we hold on to and think are right must change over time. To highlight this point, I would like you to watch this commercial from 1949 with me.
1: How often does your job call you out of bed in the middle of the night? Well, if you were a doctor, it would be often, and generally there isn't much time to spare. Coffee, doctor? Oh, fine. Have a camel with your coffee. Thanks. <laughs> you know, this night works kind of rough, isn't it? That's right. But a camel's always a pleasure. Yes, folks, the pleasing mildness of a camel is just as enjoyable to a doctor as it is to you or me. In a nationwide survey, doctors in all branches of medicine were asked what were included. And according to this nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Try camels yourself. The cigarettes so many doctors enjoy
0: you would be hard-pressed to find a doctor today that's going to recommend camels to you I don't care how smooth tasting they are things have changed and we all have misconceptions and things we have to unlearn along the way that's just part of life the same is true with our treasure Many of us have preconceived notions about our treasure, who it belongs to, how we use it. And sometimes we learn that those ideas aren't necessarily aligned with the heart of God. In the past few weeks, Pastor Sean has been directly challenging some of those preconceived ideas we may have about our treasure. And the reality is, it's been tough, it's been hard, and it's been some heavy lifting You may not even agree with some of what you've heard, and that's fine. We're not always going to agree. But there's a couple of things I just want to make clear real quick. Number one, we're always going to be a church that's willing to talk about the tough issues of our day. We're always going to be a church that's going to identify the elephants in the room, point them out, and talk about it. We're not afraid of those things. We're not going to shy away from it. It's just who we are. Number two, I want you to know these pastors at this church pray for you constantly. They dearly love you. We are a family. And it is our desire that you become more and more like Jesus Christ. We refuse to let you stay where you are. We're going to challenge you. We're going to require you to grow because anything that stops growing dies. It's a part of nature. So what I ask of you is to embrace the tension, that tension is okay. In the tension, ask yourself this simple question, or ask God, God, what is it you're trying to teach me here? Because the one thing I've learned in life, And I have keep learning is in order for me to grow in order for me to learn new things I have to be taken out of my comfort zone I have to be made uncomfortable I have to learn unquestioned. it's only in those moments where I say something doesn't seem right why am I uncomfortable that I go God what is it you're trying to teach me here we are people of the tension and we need to embrace the tension because it's only in the tension that we are stretched and that we grow so it's okay if you're uncomfortable with some of the things you've heard. But I do ask you to pray, God, what is it you're trying to teach me here? Ultimately, the question we're trying to ask is simply this. What does your treasure say about you? Because the one thing we know is treasure isn't just money. Treasure is anything that takes your time, that has your attention. Treasure is about the things in life you value. And that's not always money. There are other things in life we value, things like time, things like family. And how we use them says a lot about who you are. What does your treasure say about you? In the past few weeks, we've been learning that the choices we make affect the condition of our heart and our relationship with God. Any idea what the number one cause of cardiac arrest is in America? Me being the least medical person in the room, I looked it up, and the result may not surprise you, it's coronary heart disease. Essentially, from a layman's perspective, coronary heart disease is where there is a buildup of plaque inside the walls of your artery, and over time, it restricts the flow of blood, if not blocks it completely, until you go into cardiac arrest. And what many of us have learned is that how we treat our bodies, what we eat and what we do, has lasting effects. We may not see them immediately, but we will see them eventually. How you treat your body has side effects. The same is true of treasure. How we treat treasure has side effects as well, too. And more importantly, wealth. Our abundance of treasure has side effects as well. As Christians, we believe that God's Spirit flows in and through and out of us. That when others see us at work in the world, they see this living God who's bringing hope and healing to the world. That when they see this light shining out of us, they say, I need that. I need that in my life. I need that hope. I need that healing. We are to be the very image of God at work in the world. And what God wants to do is God wants to put His heart inside you. Because when your heart beats as, God hearts beat, as God's heart beats, you will make a difference in your family, you will make a difference in the world, you will make a difference in the culture around you. God wants to put His heart inside of you so that your heart beats as God's heart beats. But what happens is over time the junk in our life and how we misuse it, it builds up and it begins to block that spirit flowing in and through and out of us. It may even push it out altogether, and then we find our heart isn't beating as God's heart beats, and we find out we're out of rhythm with God, and then we have this sort of spiritual cardiac arrest. We flatline, we fall away, we dry up. The decisions we make have eternal consequences towards aligning our treasure and hearts with God. And what we'll learn is that our wealth has side effects. Many of you have probably seen those pharmaceutical commercials on TV like I have, and there's this couple, and they're holding hands, and they're on the beach, and they're smiling, and life is awesome. This is really great. And then, bam, you get hit with this list of side effects that could happen if you take this medication, and you're left thinking, my word, would I be better off just dealing with what I had?
1: Watch this with me made us such a bunch of paranoid nuts, you know, because when when I was growing up, there were two medicines in the world. You had aspirin and camphophenic. That's all there was. (laughs) Now there's so many medicines. They got this prescription stuff that they advertise on TV, and I swear half the time the side effects are 50 times worse than what the medicine cures. like try new flora floor for itchy watery eyes it's flora floor side effects may include nausea vomiting water weight gain lower back pain receding hairline eczema seborrhea psoriasis itching chafing clothing liver spots blood clots ringworm excessive body odor uneven tire wear pyarrhea gonorrhea diarrhea halitosis scoliosis loss of bladder control hammer toe the shanks Low sperm count, warped floors, cluttered drawers, hunchback, heart attack, low resale value on your home. Feline leukemia, athlete's foot, head lice, club foot, MD, VD, fleas, anxiety, sleeplessness, drowsiness, poor gas mileage. Tooth decay, carbo warts, unibrow, lazy eye, fruit flies, chest pains, clogged drains, hemorrhoids, dry heaving, and sexual dysfunction.
0: Just like medication can have side effects, wealth has side effects, too. But most of us don't notice the side effects or even take mine to the side effects of wealth, and there's one primary reason why, and it's simply this. Most of us don't consider ourselves wealthy. Most of us don't see ourselves as wealthy people. But what we're about to find out is that we may be wealthier than we ever thought by the world's standards. But before we get into that, I just want to say one thing first. I don't want to belittle any situation someone may be going through. Losing your home or losing your job is more than simply an economic problem. It's a social and emotional problem that strikes you at your well-being it strikes you at your very identity of who you are and if that is the season of life you are going through right now I am not directing this next time to you and I want you to know that we are praying for you we want to come alongside you during the season of life and we love you but most of us are not in that season so let's talk about it just a little bit last year Gallup did a poll to which they said the median household income worldwide is $9,733. The median household income, $9,733. To get in the top 50% of wage earners in the world, you only need to make $1,225 per year as a family. To enter the top 20% of wage earners in the world, it's $5,000 a year. Top 10%, $12,000 a year. These numbers may surprise you. There's this website called globalrichlist.com, and I encourage you to go to it this week and take a look at it online. On globalrichlist.com, you can go and put your annual income in there, and it will rank you amongst the wealthiest people in the world. I asked them to put it up the screen. There's a couple of numbers I want to look at. And the first one is this $25,000. If you make $25,000 or more a year, you are in the top 2% of wage earners throughout the world. The next number I want to look at is this one it is $32,400. If you make $32,400 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of wage earners throughout the world. And my hunch is that's a good number of us in this room. The last one I'm just going to tell you without putting it up there. If you make $70,000 or more a year in household income, you are in the top 0.1, not 1%, 0.1% of wage earners in the world and that's some of you in this room as well too by the world standards we are enormously wealthy people I love this article from USA and News World Report said this today of Americans officially designated as poor 99% have electricity running water flushing toilets and a refrigerator have a television, 88% have a telephone, 71% a car, and 70% air conditioning. Cornelius Vanderbilt had none of these, nor does much of the world. You see, what happens is over time in our wealth, we begin to see what are luxuries. Luxuries become priorities and necessities, And over time, we begin to see those necessities as entitlements. They're not simply something we want, they are now something we deserve. And we begin to align our priority with those necessities and priorities as well. And then we lose sight of the big picture because everything we're doing is to maintain the style of life that we're accustomed to living in because we have set the bar to a new standard. We have turned luxuries into entitlements. And we lose sight of the big picture and perspective. And see, the problem is that most of us that are in that top 1% to 2%, we don't really see ourselves as wealthy. We don't consider ourselves as wealthy. Well, why not? And it's simply this as we've been talking. I believe wealth has side effects. And today, I want to discuss what three of those possible side effects are. So in your worship guide, I encourage you to pull out your note guide. It looks like this. It's got a medicine bottle, and it's got three warning labels on it. And I want to talk about what those three side effects are for wealth. The first one is simply this, increased appetite wealth makes you compare yourselves to other it's an increased appetite the more you have the more you want the more you have the more you compare yourself to others who have the more you have the more you try to keep up with the Joneses but let's face a reality there is always a bigger fish in the sea there is always somebody who is wealthier there is always somebody who has more there is always someone who is better off and we get in this trap where we begin to try to compare ourselves and try to live up to the standards someone else might because we're never content and we're never happy and if i had to narrow this word appetite down to one other word it would simply be this more In our appetite, we want more stuff, more status, and more security. Wealth makes us want more, more, more. I love this verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Because wealth makes us want more and more and more. And we keep trying to keep up with everybody else and they're more and more and more. We get caught in this vicious cycle and we lose sight of the big picture. And ultimately what happens is we become so consumed with wanting more, we end up forgetting who God is. And in the process of forgetting who God is, we forget who we are. And that is the danger of the more and more and more game. The big question we have to ask ourselves is in this media culture that we live in, this advertising culture we live in that's constantly bombarding us with messages that says that you don't have enough, that you're not good enough, and that you need more, how are we, the people who have a little bit more, going to say no when we can afford to say yes? How do people who can afford to say yes learn to say no? Because if you feed an appetite, it grows. And satisfying an appetite does not diminish it. If you want to diminish an appetite, the only way I, need, I know how to do that is you have to starve it. It's like a person going on a diet. There's many things they need to do, but one of the things they have to do is they have to eat less. They have to treat their body to learn a new normal, a new normal of input. They have to begin to starve it so that it can relearn that it's okay to have less. Ultimately, what I'm saying is we've got to be content with what we have. And we have to learn what to say yes to, and we have to learn what to say no to if we're going to be people that don't suffer from the effects of wealth. We need to be content with what we have and don't get trapped in that comparison game. The second possible side effect of wealth is this, arrogance. We become arrogant and we lose perspective. Now from a biblical perspective, arrogance simply means high-minded, which means we think too highly of ourselves. We may even think of ourselves higher than God because after all we are the king of our own kingdom. And the problem with wealth is an idea can slip into our mind in our wealth that simply says listen it is because of the sweat of my brow it is because of my efforts it's because I'm just that smart it's because I'm just that good it's because I'm just that unique a person that I have gotten me where I am today I am the reason I am successful because I'm the one that got me here I'm the one that did the hard work I'm the one that paid the extra price I'm the one who worked the longer hours I'm where I'm at because I got myself here and the Bible would contend with that boy would it ever we've talked about this verse before Moses and the Israelites are about to cross the River Jordan. The Israelite nation is going to possess the land that God has promised them. And before they do so, Moses begins to warn them some things. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, here's one of the warnings he gave them. He said, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth, not you. It is God's shoulders that you are standing on, not him on yours. And we forget that sometimes. It is only by God's grace. It is only by God's love. It is only by God's provision that you have anything that you have. And it is only by God that you will maintain it. You must trust in God. God is the reason we are wealthy. There is no other reason. And this same God is constantly looking at us and saying, humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and he will lift you up. Because the problem is in our wealth when we become arrogant is we forget who God is and then we forget who we are. And the same thing happened to the Israel nation and God began to have to speak to them through the prophets. We see one of those times in Hosea 13, he said this, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. My dear friends, in our wealth, may we not become arrogant. May we not buy into the lie that the reason we are where we're at is because of we're just a special person. Because one of the things that arrogant people think is, hey, I'm the smartest guy in the room, and that's not true either. It is only through God's provision and grace that you are where you are. Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Third possible side effect of wealth is this, anxiety. Wealth causes you not to trust, and the problem is is the more you have, the harder it is to maintain the lifestyle you're in. So you get in this trap as well of worry and fear and anxiety, trying to maintain this new lifestyle and this new thing that you're, you're doing and then you also become a target because it seems the more money and the more wealth and the more treasure you have the more of a target and the more people are after you to get some of it and so now you feel like you have to protect it and you're worried even more and then you begin to fear about the future because you know markets they go up and down and that scares me and you get in this fear mentality and it's a trap we become anxious people when the bible causes calls us to be anxious of nothing And we're not supposed to be that. We're supposed to trust in God. Recently, I had the privilege of moving from one house to another in town. On one day, my wife was off at work and the kids were at school. So I began to load the truck and I got the first floor done pretty fast and I got the second floor done really fast as well. And I was thinking, man, Jason, you're pretty awesome. And then I went to the basement. I guess at some point I either just didn't pay attention or I didn't go down there enough, but I had never noticed the sheer accumulation of junk that had piled up down there. Only the problem is it wasn't junk to my wife. It was junk to me. And so I began to call it the you never know room. And the reason I call it the You Never Know Room is because I would put out something that looked like a piece of junk and go, honey, do we really need this? To which she would reply, well, you never know. (laughs) And now before we go any further, too, a warning to the guys out there. If there is a box labeled wedding dress, don't be a smart aleck and joke that you're going to take it to goodwill. (sighs) It will not go well for you, and she won't think it's funny. (laughs) Not that I did that. (laughs) Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, do we need 18-year-old college school books that have been abridged 18 times since? Well, you never know. <laughs> you know, they're available on the computer, too. Honey, do we need 150 slightly used Christmas bags and bows that look like they went through World War III? <laughs> you never know. Now, I don't wrap 150 presents on any given year, and frankly, I'm frugal, but I can afford the bag of bows at the dollar store. (laughs) Or the kicker was this, the suitcase whose zipper was not only broken, but it was gone and and cut off of the side. Honey, what do we need this for? Well, you never know. Well, what are we gonna do, staple it shut? I mean, can you see going to the airport with that one, going, hey, can I borrow your stapler and some duct tape? <laughs> Hope you don't need to inspect that one. And I want you to know that y'all found this conversation much funnier than my wife did. <sighs> <laughs> and some of you are laughing hard because you know of someone who has one of these rooms, and some of you aren't laughing because you're that person. <laughs> the you never know room. My wife's not a hoarder, but in that funny story, I just want to highlight the point of what wealth can do. After a while, you can forget that you're to put your trust in God. And after a while, you can forget who this God is. And in that process, you become anxious and fearful and you worry. And the Bible says we're not supposed to live that way. The Bible in Philippians 4 calls us to be anxious of nothing, that we're to put our trust in God. And the side effect of fear is this you-never-know mindset. So what is the antidote to these side effects of wealth? It's simply this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, they're going to show this on the screen, starting in verse 17. Paul is speaking to a man named Timothy, Who is running a church they had planted, and he's giving him advice on how to operate the church. One of the pieces of advice he gives him is this, starting in 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, which we've talked about, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be, here's the key word, generous. Say that word with me. Generous. One more time. Be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Generosity is the antidote for the dizzying effects of wealth. Generosity. It is the antidote for the dizzying effects of wealth. And Paul is not commanding them to be generous so that he can have their money. Paul is commanding them to be generous so that their money doesn't have them. And there's a big difference. And interestingly enough, just as most of us would say, I'm not wealthy, almost none of us would admit that we're not generous. Because none of us would ever say, listen, I'm a stingy or a selfish person. But what I want to say today is here is a measuring stick I will give you. Here is something by which you can measure it by to say, am I being generous in this situation? Is this a generous act? And it's simply this. The key to generosity is to give and expect nothing in return. The key to generosity is to give and expect absolutely nothing in return. If you are giving and you are expecting something in return, that is not generosity, that is a transaction. You are expecting goods and services in return for what you have given. Generosity is giving and expecting absolutely nothing in return. And I realize this is about to hit like a hammer, so take a deep breath, but we got to do it. It's simply this. If you are tithing, and you're giving, expecting something in return, that is not generosity. That is consumerism. That is a transaction. You are giving money and treating the church as a purveyor of goods and services that meets your own needs, and that's not generosity, and that hurts. The key to true generosity is to give and expect absolutely nothing in return because generosity demands that you not be an anxious person as we talked about. Generosity demands that you trust God, that you plant that seed and it is God who will water it, it is God who will grow it, and it is God who will harvest it. We put our trust in God and we believe that it is God who puts the right people in the right places doing the right things to get the results that God's will be done on earth, not ours. Generosity demands you trust God. And you give expecting absolutely nothing in return, which gets us to our so what moment. Key verse that's woven its way throughout this entire series is Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As a pastor, I often have people that'll come to me and they'll say, hey, Jason, I feel like I'm not growing in my spiritual journey. I feel like I plateaued or I may even be going backwards. What can I do? And as we talk and speak, you learn that there's this time for a lot of them, this wonderful time where they made the decision to receive Jesus as their Savior and they've said listen I need to be forgiven of my sins and I like this promise of eternity of heaven I like to know where I'm going when I'm and I think that that's a great idea and so they've embraced this idea that Jesus is their Savior but they've never taken that step of obedience to say that Jesus is also our King The Bible says that He is our Lord, and what that means is simply this. He's calling the shots in your life, and He owns your stuff. That's why the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything is in it and so many Christians out there have made this decision to say listen I love this Jesus as Savior I love the idea that he can forgive my sins I love the idea that I can have eternal life but I don't want to hear anything about having to follow a king I don't want to hear anything about the fact that I have to be obedient and change my life to follow this king and be who he created me to be and so we've only taken half a step and I don't know that you get that choice because what I understand as salvation is It is declaring that Jesus is both your Savior and He is your King. And when we look at this verse, it identifies that. Notice what the verse there doesn't say that where your heart is, your treasure will follow. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart, your heart follows your treasure. And there's so many Christians out there saying, I'm just trying to get my heart right. I'm just trying to get my life right. I'm trying to get my heart aligned with God. And then when I do that, my treasure will follow. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, if you want to get your heart right with God, if you want to be growing, if you want to be in a relationship with him, it follows your treasure. Get your treasure right first. Your heart follows after. And there's so many Christians out there doing it backwards. And there is not another book you can read. There is not another group. You can go to, there's not another sermon you can hear that if you're trying to get your heart right first in hopes that your treasure will follow, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said so. You want to grow, and if you're one of those people that says, "Yeah, I'm plateaued, I'm not growing, I made me going backwards." My dear friend, I want to challenge you today, you may be trying to get your heart right first when the Bible says, "Get your treasure right." Amen.) <laughs> Get your treasure right and watch what God can do in your life. Ultimately, what I'm asking you is this How are you going to use what God has given you? How are you going to use what God has given you? We, the people, our community, a church, even a nation, are uniquely positioned as a wealthy place and a wealthy people to make a difference in the world. You have been given what you have to give. You have been uniquely placed in this time with resources that most of the world cannot comprehend and throughout history couldn't comprehend. And God has given you those things in stewardship for you to use them to build his kingdom. And yes, there's going to be a day we stand before that God and he's going to say, how did you use what I gave you? And we will need to give an account. You have been given to give. And you have been challenged to love to give. That's why John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, he... God so loved the world, he... The natural result of love, genuine, Godlike love, is a heart that gives. A heart aligned with God's heart, that beats with God's heart. God has put you here at this time and in this place to make a difference in the world. And God has put us here together as a church to make a difference, not only in our community, but throughout the world. And my dear friends, we can do it. We can do it, but it's going to start by aligning our hearts with God's heart, and it's going to start by us saying our treasure belongs to God. And when we do that, our heart will beat as God's heart beats, and we will make a difference in this world. How are you going to use what God has given you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, tough stuff today. But we thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Lord, may we stand in that tension, asking the question, what is it you're trying to teach us? Because we want to be a people whose heart beats as your heart beats. We want to love and that a natural result of that love is to give. So Lord, reveal to us those hidden places in our heart that we may not even see. Allow us to confront those ideas that need to be confronted so that we can change and become more and more like you, a people whose light is reflected out in the world, the light of a Savior, to show people the way home. In your name, amen.